Okay, I think we got it. Well, last week we finished up with the index of forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we kind of started out then with um, two premises concerning sin. Um, the first was the words from God as, he, as provided through the prophet Jeremiah, where the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And he says, God says, well, who really knows how bad it is? And it is the Lord. Um, he searches all hearts and examines secret motives. And he gives all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. Then that second thing we looked at and looking at this as second premise was um, from Romans where Paul says that we've all sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And so we start out then with this bleak condition that we have these wicked, deceitful hearts and we are all prone to sin. But thankfully then we have a savior, right? We have a way out. And this is the great good news of the gospel. And so Jesus has the authority and the power to save us. He alone has that. And so then we looked briefly concerning different types of sin, right? We talked about um, doing things that we shouldn't do. Those were sins of commission. And then not doing things we should do, which are sins of omission. We didn't do what we should have done. So regardless of the nature of our sin, we are told to become aware of them, that we should know that we have sinned, know what those sins are, and that we should then confess those sins. And sometimes... The scriptures tell us, and we know, that we don't even know that we have sinned, right? Our hearts aren't quite right. We don't know enough necessarily. We may not be far enough along in our faith journey to understand that what we have done is a sin. And so the scriptures tells us, hey, call upon God to search you and to reveal the sin that you may not even know that you've done or you may have forgotten. And so that sin will be revealed to you so you can confess it and repent um, from those sins. And so um, God calls us then to see sin as he does, right? And he hates sin. And so we should also hate sin. So we spent two, a fair amount of time um, taking a quick peek at what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. And the Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness. And that seems a good place to study then uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So I do want to reiterate though how important God thinks forgiveness is. That our own salvation is dependent upon Jesus forgiving us, but our own salvation is also dependent upon our willingness to forgive those who have sinned against us. So God says, I have granted you this mercy I have granted you this grace of forgiveness, and in return, you should do likewise. And it's important. You know, God makes this point several times in the scripture. Jesus does as well. And it's very emphatic that this is an important thing that we need to do. Um, so that's kind of a quick wrap up. Does, are there any questions that you've had a chance to kind of think about it, about um, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us? Before we move on. 
Yeah. Okay, so today we embark upon the last index of the Lord's Prayer. And that is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so you might be thinking, Calhoun, you're off your rocker. That's not the last line of the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, for some, trans, for some traditions. But that's an interesting point. If you looked at your Bibles, uh, you would probably find that that last line is not in it. If you looked at Matthew 6 or in Luke 11, that uh, last line is not there. Unless you're using a King James, then you might find it. But um, <coughs> the English Standard Version, which our pastors use, New Living Translation, which I use, New International Version, which is a common, um, the New Living or the New American Standard Bible, none of them contain that last line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so we go, well, what's up with that, right? We've been praying that all our lives. And now here, I'm standing here saying, yeah, you shouldn't have been. It's not in the scripture. Well, it was. Um, this has, um, it was absent, that last statement was absent from the early Greek manuscripts going way back to the 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries. So way back, this was not there, not in the early Greek manuscripts. And it also was absent in the writings, so the pastoral writings, the theological writings back in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries also did not deal with this, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Right? This is not there. And so the absence from the early teaching and from the Greek um, manuscripts really provides this kind of a significant evidence that it probably wasn't there when Paul wrote the original gospel. If you know, they're a lot closer to it in the third century than we are in the 21st, right? And so if they weren't using it and they weren't teaching on it, chances are it probably wasn't there. And so that suggests, though, that for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever was not originally in the Lord's Prayer. It really kind of makes sense, too, because most of that is already included in, in prior um, verses in the Lord's Prayer. Those, those kinds of things are already there. Um, but even still, we have a cause to cause us to pause about this, right? Because we've been praying this for a long time, um, and while it is, in fact, absent from the earliest Greek manuscripts, it does find its way in in some of the later ones. <coughs> Pretty much all the way then with gaps to the King James. Um, so we're left with this bit of a quandary here. Um, the earliest evidence supports the exclusion of the phrase, but the widespread inclusion later on suggests we can't dismiss it loosely or just, you know, just can't just dismiss it because somewhere people thought this was significant. Theologians thought this was significant. And so, but some suggest then that its inclusion um, was an editorial um, doxological, so kind of a doxology um, addition, <coughs> excuse me, as a, an extra biblical 
account. <coughs> Excuse me, those things are always bad when we add things to the scripture. Um, and so that seems plausible um, because it is true that God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Those things are true. Um, but for our purposes, we're going to stick with the more, more modern translations which reflect the earliest manuscripts. And we're, going to, we're, just not, we're not going to deal with that last line that we so know as, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. All right, so any questions about that? Okay, so back to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, this line is rendered the same in the King James and the English Standard Version. They both interpret or translate it the same. The NLT renders this, which is Matthew 6.13, as, And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So the NLT has a slightly bit uh, of a different take. The King James and the English Standard Version imply that um, God would lead us into temptation if we didn't ask him not to. Um, while the New Living Translation asks that we be strengthened to be able to resist temptation. Those are really kind of different things in how these translations approach this text. But I think at the core, this prayer is really asking us to be saved from ourselves. And we need to be saved from ourselves. Why? Because the human heart is deceitful and wicked. And so we're asking God to protect us from ourselves. And so Jesus is teaching us to be aware of the conflict between our spiritual being and our human condition and that we should pray about these struggles, right? I, I've mentioned several times, uh, we are spiritual beings in a human condition. You know, we are meant for eternity. This is, to us, we're just in this human condition for a short time, but we're meant to be spiritual beings um, for eternity. And so we wanna make sure that we understand this conflict that's going on between our eternal spiritual beings and our human condition. But before we get into that, or get too far into that, I want to go back to the idea that God might lead us into temptation. That sounds kind of scary. And it is. It would be. Um, but we see as Christians kind of a, an immediate incongruity here. That how would a loving, kind God lead us into the thing he knows is going to destroy us. Why would he do that? As followers of Christ, why would he lead us to the thing that's going to destroy us? And would God really put us in a situation intentionally where we would be tempted by him? So we can turn to the first chapter of James for some help here. And James, of course, is the practical application of Christianity. It's the practical application of the gospel. We're going to be in James a little bit today. We've been in James several times through this study. Um, we'll be back there again today in verses, um, chapter 1, James 1, verses 12 to 15. 
so this notion about would God tempt us, right? So James says in verse 12, starting in verse 12, that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. All right, so again, we're looking at this idea that protect me from myself. I've got this conflict between my spiritual being, my eternal spiritual being, and my human condition. And James says, hey, when you're tempted, it isn't God. Don't blame him. That's not where it comes from. Temptation comes from our own desires. Okay, so clearly James is teaching that sinful desires come from within ourselves and God doesn't throw them at us. Yet, he also says these desires entice us and drag us away, and they do. If left unchecked, temptations, the desires, lead to sinful actions. So the temptation is the, is the beginning, and that can lead to fulfillment of the sin through the temptation, and that's the sinful action which ultimately then would lead to spiritual death, right? Without having forgiveness, we would lead to spiritual death. So what are we to do? What are we supposed to do about this? If, if it's manifest within us to desire evil, our hearts are deceitful and wicked, um, how do we deal with this temptation? So Paul directs us to a source of help in Galatians 5, uh, at verses 16 and 17. And here he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. We are spiritual beings. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Our human condition wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, what our spiritual being wants, okay? Um, sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Well, that's not a big surprise that Paul would say, hey, seek the Spirit. Spirit can guide you through this, right? That doesn't seem like anything of a stretch. We probably could have answered that on our own. Nice to have the confirmation in the scripture. Um, but it does remind us where our help comes from. We pray for guidance from God. Deliver us from evil, right? And so here Paul reminds us, um, in a sense, really gives us some level of comfort. Really, it, it is a, it, I do find this comforting to read this, where he says, hey, you've got this sinful nature, and you've got this 
Spirit of God in you, and they are always fighting. And so sometimes we look at our lives and we go, why do I do that? Why do I keep doing it? Why do I always get mad at this thing? Why am I always disgusted with so-and-so? Why is my heart wrong? Well, the comfort here is to say, Christian, expect it. There is a conflict in you between your sinful nature that you're born with until we're in our resurrected beings or in our, in our eternal homes, you're going to have this conflict. So I find comfort in that, that I'm not, I'm not some, I'm just not a cheap Christian. I'm just not good enough, right? Because Scripture tells us, expect it. It's going to happen. This conflict goes on all the time. So, it's that law of sin we talked about last time that Paul talks about, right? I want to do right, but I can't. It's this law of sin. It's just, it's just there. We can't really do anything about it while we're still uh, on the earth. So, we know that temptation just doesn't fall away once we are baptized and we proclaim the Lord, Jesus is my Lord, and we become Christians. All of a sudden, temptation doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. It stays there. It stays with us. Um, in fact, it almost seems to get multiplied. And why does it seem like it gets multiplied? Well, there's a pretty good reason for that too, right? So when, before you're saved, and you're just living your life, you're doing the things of the world, and the world has all kinds of acceptable things. The, the Lord says they're not acceptable things. And so you become saved, and you start spending more time, you go into church, you're hearing sermons, you're reading the Bible, maybe you're involved in a life group, maybe you're doing a Sunday school class, and all of a sudden you start learning the wisdom of God. And you start seeing these things that are in your life that are sinful. So it isn't that your sin is multiplied, you're just now aware of it. And that's a good thing. If you're aware of that sin, you can combat it, you can confess it, you can repent. All right, so, um, so, what do we make of these um, tempting situations? And what do we do when we're tempted to gossip or, or we're tempted to turn to pornography or um, lash out in anger and, and, and speak harshly or whatever temptation you come across? We have all kinds of things we do that happen to us uh, every day. All right, so what do we do um, when we're in these situations, right? So do we believe James when he says, God doesn't tempt us, or do we consider Jesus teaching um, us to pray that God not lead us into temptation? Which of those things are we supposed to believe? Is there a conflict among the scripture? Are James and Jesus saying the same thing, or are they saying different things? Because it seems that on the surface, they're saying different things. <clears throat> well, as a believer of Christ and as a follower of our Lord God, I do not believe there's any conflict in the scripture. I believe God's sovereignty keeps the scripture harmonious from the beginning to the end. And sometimes we don't see it. And there are times when it appears to be conflict. And so we have to look at the circumstance, look at the context, whatever it may be. And so I don't think there's a conflict here. Uh, I think there's a subtle difference in Jesus' teaching. And so if we were to replace the word temptation with testing, this might become clear. So if we said, 
think of and lead us not into testing. It might seem a little easier for us to understand. Um, so now, while God would not lead us into temptation, He very much will lead us into testing. And we see that throughout the scripture. We talked about it just a few weeks ago when we were talking about the manna, right? And God was leading people in Israel through the wilderness, and he says, I'm giving you manna to test you. Will you believe that I will provide? And we have a number of times um, where we see God testing his children. Um, you may think, too, about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. But think about that story. Jesus was not being tested by God. Who was tempting Jesus? Satan was testing Jesus. God the Father put him out there to be tested. Satan tempted. And so you think too about Job. The, the story of Job and all the misery he went through and was Job being tempted by God? No. Satan was given reign over some aspects of Job's life. But God says to test my servant, Job. It was a test. Now, there are other examples, those two that come to mind quickly, and they're ones that are probably that we can easily relate to, but there's a lot of times um, where God uses testing of his people to solidify their faith. And so it's important, though, we make this distinction between testing and temptation. There are, there are different things. And so we can turn again, though, to James for some insight here. And if we look again at James 1, this time a few verses earlier, down at uh, verses 2 through 4, where James says, um, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So, we see here in James that testing is a good thing for us. That when we are tested, our endurance gets a chance to grow, that we can, we can resist and we can grow. And so he says, um, when you do this, you get developed and you'll become perfect and complete. So that's a good thing. And so, but we still have these tempting situations, right? Um, they're still there before us. And so if you stick your finger in your eye, it's going to hurt, right? So how many times do you stick your finger in your eye? Once, right? You do it once and it hurts. You don't do it anymore. You don't stick your finger in your eye. And so most of us, we have glasses on. It kind of helps us from being stupid, right? We, don't, you know, we can't poke ourselves in the eye. But so it is with sin, right? Or it's the temptation. If you're tempted and you accept it and you sin, the sin hurts. And we feel some guilt. Don't stick your finger in your eye. It hurts. So don't sin. It hurts. And so we go back to learning to not act upon our temptations. The temptations are there, 
resisted, right? That's the prayer. And so, in doing resisting this temptation, our faith is strengthened and our endurance for the next time will be increased. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to succeed, right? We do this all the time. Whatever your sin may be, we all have our own things, right? Their own, our own things that we get tempted by, that we succumb to. And so we finally figure out, hey, I keep succumbing to this. I need to stop that. And we try to resist it. And it may work for a little while, but then it hits us again. And we, we aren't able to resist that time. But the next time, it's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try really hard not to, not just, not to shout things out. I'm going to try really hard not to be mad. I'm going to try really hard not to honk my horn at that guy in the car in front of me. Or whatever it may be, right? And so the next time, you get a little stronger. And you go, and then you stop before you hit the horn. Or you go, and you stop before the words come out of your mouth. Okay, so that, that endurance of being tested, of being tempted, of resisting the sin, the temptation. So it's simple, right? Um, just don't act on your temptation, right? So um, it's really simple, right? It's just it's so easy. Well, it isn't really simple to do, is it? I mean, it's simple to understand the instruction, but it's really hard to put into practice. Right? It's like forgiveness. It's really hard. And so um, we have to deal with that sinful nature, right? It's in us. And we're told it's, we're, we're always conflicted. And we're, you know, Peter tells us this. Paul tells us this. We know that we're in this, this conflict. James tells us this. We have this conflict that, that doesn't go away. And we have to deal with that sinful nature. We have, to we have to deal with that deceitful and wicked heart. And we have to deal with that law of sin that is ever present. It's just always there. This is precisely why Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is because it is so prominent in us, that it is so pervasive in us that Jesus says, pray this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then is precisely why Jesus teaches us about the wide road that leads to hell and destruction and the narrow gate, right? It's because this is so hard. Hey, that road out there leads to destruction is huge. It is wide. You can go 90 miles an hour, and it is great. It's a fun. It is a thrill. But the path to eternal life is narrow. Not only is it narrow, only few find it. It's hard. It's hard to find it. And we can't do it on our own. In our human condition, we want the wide road that's going 90 miles an hour, the music blaring and blasting, and we're, hey! That's what we want. That's what our human nature wants. It's the conflict within our human nature and our spiritual condition that makes us say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For Lord, it is all around me. It's so much all around me, it is in me. Protect me from myself. And so, the difficulty is precisely why Paul teaches us 
about the full armor of God. Right? He talks about this armor of God in Ephesians 6. We'll get to it here shortly in the, in the sermon series. But just to throw it out there for you, the, the, Paul writes, um, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And that's, that's a big thing. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He is the only one that can do this. So put all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm so you'll be able to stand firm. This is the spiritual armor you need to use to fight against your human condition. Um, put on God's armor so you can stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Because evil is everywhere. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver me from this evil that is everywhere. It's all around me. It's within me. And we're not, it is that who we're fighting. We're fighting against these evil rulers of the unseen world, the spiritual world. We can't see them. We see their effect. We feel their impact. And yet... We've got this armor of God. We've got this spirit of, um, of God within us. And yet we still can't get through a day or even an hour without sinning in some form or fashion, right? We just can't, we can't not do it. And so we rely upon this promise that's recorded for us in, in 1 John, which we've talked about before um, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But he says... If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. This is a great thing, right? This is the great hope of the gospel. And we can find comfort too in 1 Corinthians 10 at verse 13. And Paul writes, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure it. <coughs> we oftentimes don't see the way out. We don't look for the way out. But a lot of times it's there. And in hindsight, we'll go, oh man, I should have... Or this, you know, I had this thought and I didn't do it. I, I should have. Maybe next time, right? So as an illustration of this truth, I was reminded of a story that I had come across several years ago that really seems to just um, illustrate this whole notion that God will provide a way out, right? And so this is a story that's told by a pastor, a guy by the name of, of Bob Robinson, assuming it's a true story. Um, but anyway, he says, one time, several years ago, I admit I was steadfast in trying to sin. Okay, so his admission is, his, I was steadfast. I'm trying to sin. I got in my car and started to drive where I know I should not go. As I drove, I came to a literal detour of the road. I followed it, which coincidentally took me right back near my home. That was not going to stop me, however. I kept going. By the time I headed toward my destination, my car's fuel light, low fuel light came on. 
and it started flashing at me. And that irritating bell ringing at me. I had to stop and get gas. After putting a few gallons in my tank, I continued on my journey, only to get behind not just one, but two salt trucks on the highway. We moved along at a snail's pace, salt bouncing up and pummeling the front of my car. But I was not deterred. I got off the exit at my sinful destination, only to slide off the road and get stuck in the ditch. God provided not just one, but four ways out. The grace of God would not let me go. So, this pastor's case, he's going to sin. Now, who knows what it was? He doesn't tell us what it was, and I don't care. He's admitting, I was trying to go sin, right? I, in my head, I'm going to go sin. And God gave him four ways to easily get out of it. The first three didn't work, so what's he do? Okay, I'm going to put you in a ditch where you can't go anymore. And that stopped him. But he failed to recognize the three times that God was trying to stop him. So we pray for um, these kinds of interventions, right? When we're concerned, when we hate sin the way God hates sin, we pray for these kinds of interventions. Lord, protect me from myself. I don't know about you, but I pray that a lot for me. I pray, protect me from myself. And so we pray for this intervention, and you know, we, we try to get prepared with this full armor of God, and we accept this challenge um, to move beyond being a hearer of the word. Right? I read this stuff, yeah, it's all nice and good, and this is warm and fuzzy, to doing it. James, the practical approach to Christianity, says don't be a reader of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. And so we have to put these things into practice. It's not enough to go, yeah, I shouldn't sin, and yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we have to recognize the sin. We have to try to stop it. We have to pray for the power to stop it. And we have to pray for a changed heart, that our human condition would be more in line with our spiritual being and the spirit within us would be more congruent. And so we have a choice when we're tempted, right? We can accept the temptation, which gives birth to sin, which in turn gives birth to spiritual death because sin separates us from God. Or if we resist the temptation, we develop perseverance which then gives birth to more mature habits and we are spiritually strengthened. So the best way to develop perseverance is to avoid circumstances which lead to our temptations. Now sometimes we can't, depending on what our temptations are, depending on where our weaknesses are. Sometimes it's just part of our everyday life. The other times, like the pastor where we seek to sin. So we need to choose to not to seek to sin. Protect me from myself. And so we pray for guidance uh, and strength to know what you should watch on TV. To have the courage to go, yeah, I really shouldn't watch that and change the station. Instead of saying, yeah, this is kind of racy. Yeah, we'll just watch it. We'll just, we'll just watch it anyway. No. 
Change the channel. Don't let your mind get infiltrated by the filth. And so it depends on what you watch on TV, what you read, what websites you visit, um, which blogs you watch or listen to, and which places you frequent. Where do you go? You know, are you going to places that are harbingers of sin? No, not everything's a church. I get that. We still are in the world. But there are places you probably shouldn't go to because sin is just rampant in those kinds of places. Um, and so you also think about the people you hang around with. Are these people that I should be hanging around with? Are they good for me? Are they leading me into temptation? They very well could be. And so we have to look at all these things, and then we have to be proactive, right? So lead us not into temptation, lead us not to be tested, but deliver us from evil. So any questions so far? Or comments? No? Okay, so let's look at it a little more closely. But deliver us from evil. Some of you might recall a song, it's kind of a, well, a contemporary artist, um, Matt Redman. And the song was titled Never Let Go. You never, you never Let Go. And it's kind of an old deal. I think it was released in like 2006 or something, so it's been around a while. But this song um, kind of appeals to me in, there, in, this, in this sense we think about Deliver Us From Evil. So the lyrics of that song came to mind as I was preparing for this, this class. And the words, the lyrics to the song, or some of them, uh, and, and Matt Redman sings, And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Those lyrics seem to kind of encapsulate, but deliver us from evil, right? So um, if you're with me, who should I fear? Deliver me from evil. So while we are given this spirit of power, and this is an important thing to remember too, right? We are given a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of timidity. We're not to be timid. We're, we are given a powerful spirit. And so we have this powerful spirit, but yet we still have an enemy that we need deliverance from. We have the enemy that's powerful too. And so recall the warning that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 5, um, verses 8 and 9. You, I'm sure you will be familiar with this. <clears throat> where Peter says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So we just saw this earlier, right? Where, hey, these, the sins and temptations you have are no different than anybody else. And here Peter says, um, the family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of junk you are too. 
Now I find comfort in that, right? Again, it's not, I'm not a crappy Christian. Look at this. I mean, um, you know, the scripture tells me that, hey, my brothers and sisters all around the world, doesn't matter if you're in Russia, if you're in the United States, if you're in South America, if you're in Alaska, it doesn't matter where you are, we are all suffering these same kinds of things. And so that great enemy, though, the devil, has many evil spirits. And they are serving him. And they are real. And they are in our midst. Somebody asked me uh, just before class started, not, not anybody here, somebody had come up and asked me, do I believe that a saved Christian can be possessed by a demon? And I said, no, we cannot. When we are saved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God is within us. There is no room for a demon and the Holy Spirit in our being. Yet, those demons are out there, and they are licking at our ears, and they're whispering, and they're tempting, and they're showing us these great things, and, and they're distorting the truth, and they're turning the, the, the gospel just enough <coughs> for us to justify all kinds of things. And so the enemy is out there. It's real. It's in our midst. Um, but we are not to fear him. Whom then shall I fear? If God is with me, who can stand against me? So we're not to fear this enemy. And this is an important distinction. We need to be very much aware that he's out there. We need to be very aware of what he's up to. We need to be very discerning of what our motivations are. But we are not to fear him. Who are we to fear? We are God-fearing people. And that seems kind of a contradiction, doesn't it? But it's really easy for us to understand when we're talking about this topic of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, when you say, why should I fear God? God loves me. You fear God because God is the only power in all of creation that has the authority to cast you into eternal torment. The only one who has the authority to cast you into eternal torment. That's why you fear God. The devil can't put you in hell. He can tempt you. And those temptations you can act upon and lead to sin. But he can't put you in hell. God can't. But these evil spirits and the devil himself are going to tease us with temptations and lies. And these things, these temptations, these lies, these things that seem so nice and real, are what we need deliverance from. So we need to know the enemy. Be alert. Watch out for your enemy. We need to know the enemy and be freed from him. Deliver us from evil. So what about you know, the, the, the other translations used deliver us from evil? The New Living Translation says deliver us from the evil one. I'm not sure there's a big distinction here. Um, but this is, um, there is this major 
battle within our beings, within our culture, within our world. Um, Satan is the prince of this world, right? He is the guy that's in control. He's the prince of this world. And he has great power. He does. But the short answer about deliverance is simply pray. Pray for deliverance. We cannot overcome these temptations in our human condition. We're told this. The scriptures tell us, hey, you're going to have this conflict. <coughs> it isn't going to go away. It's the law of sin. It's in you. The conflict is there. So we can't overcome the temptations of Satan on our own, yet we can't forget Satan is accountable to God also. While he is powerful, he is not all-powerful. He is accountable to God. And one day, God is going to throw him into the lake of fire and close the lid and put the lock on. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. <clears throat> if Satan comes and tests us or tempts us, God allows Satan to test. Satan then tempts us. If we succumb to the temptation, well, Satan wins. If we don't, think of the story of Job. Job says, you know, hey, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave, right? Everything I have is a gift from God. I can't take it with me. While I'm here, it's all a gift from God, and that's the way it is, right? And then old Job's wife says, oh, why don't you curse God and die? Thanks, honey. Because Satan still has to get approval from God. And God, in the end, it isn't like there's going to be a war and God's going to win. It's like God's going to have the best one-two punch and there's a counter left and he's going to knock him out. It isn't the way it is. God's authority is going to put Satan in the lake of fire. Satan is accountable to God just as we are. And I think it's important to remember that he isn't some force out there that's unaccountable or that is mightier than anything else. He has to ask permission. Think about too where um, in the New Testament where Jesus, right before um, um, Jesus was arrested and Jesus told the, the disciples, the apostles, particularly Peter, that, hey, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And he says, when he asked to sift them, Jesus said, but I'm praying that your faith will keep you strong. So Jesus prayed for Peter and the apostles. He didn't say, but I told Satan no. He could have. But he said, I'm praying for your faith to be strong, that your faith will resist the devil. And so, in both the story of Job and in, this, in the disciples being one, where Satan wanted to sift them, the answer was faith and prayer. It was faith and prayer that delivered Job, and it was faith and prayer that delivered the apostles from the evil one. The evil one, in this case, Satan particularly. 
So we recognize that in our human condition, uh, the temptations can be overwhelming. They can be. This isn't easy. And we need God's grace. Everyone is vulnerable. When you read the stories through the Bible, you know, you Moses and Noah, um, Samson, David, Peter, Paul. I mean, we can name a whole bunch of them. All of these great Bible names all succumbed to temptation. Thus the prayer is, deliver us. Deliver us. In these stories, these stories of David and, and Samson and Noah um, and, and so on, these are all provided to us as a warning, right? They tell us that even the leaders of our faith, <coughs> those who are strong, those who God used in mighty ways, still have trouble with this temptation. And there's this warning, um, which is why in the scripture we are consistently instructed to flee, right? We're told to flee sexual immorality, flee youthful lusts, we're to avoid all appearance of evil, and so on. Flee. And from these warnings then, it's important that we pray for a hedge of protection around us, around our family, around our friends and, and fellow believers, each other. Pray for God's protection. You need it, they need it. And Jesus, you may not remember this, but when we, way back when we talked about Jesus's high priestly prayer, <clears throat> the prayer he gave right before um, the trial and all that, or before his being arrested, he prayed in his high priestly prayer um, for the disciples saying, and this is his prayer, saying, so he's talking to God the Father, and he says about the disciples, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to, to call them into heaven. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But to keep them safe from the evil one. That was Jesus' prayer for the apostles. The last public prayer he made was I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Let them be in the world. Make them be in the world. Let their faith be strong. But God, protect them from the evil one. And thankfully then, our God provides a simple instruction to attend to a very difficult task. And that instruction we find in James 4. In verse 7. And that verse is... James 4, 7, so humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Deliver us from the evil one. It means to resist, and he will flee from you. He is accountable to God just as we are. And it is through God's authority that we tell Satan to flee. Get beside me, Satan. Or get behind me, Satan. You have the authority as a God-fearing believer. Satan, get behind me. 
use that, use that authority. So we have this um, assurance from the 23rd Psalm that we're all, we all know. And in that assurance we have in verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? For thou art with me. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can prevail against me? No one. And Jesus teaches us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The scripture teaches over and over, evil is all around us, it's within us, and we cannot get this on our own. We can only resort to the one who has the authority to do it. So, I want to close it out. I do want to read Psalm 27. It's a little bit kind of long, but I do want to read Psalm 27. Um, this psalm, as we close up our study of prayer, um, shows us to have confidence in prayer while we long for the presence of our Lord and we trust in his instruction. So let's read Psalm 27. Um, and it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Now, these people that are enemies, right? They may not be some sworn enemy. They may just be people that are trying to tempt you because that's what they do because it's their nature, their human nature. They're fallen people too. It isn't like they've got horns. They're not evil people necessarily, but they're evil in God's eyes and they're people in the world. So these are just people around us, right? So when my enemies and foes attack me, they cause me to temptation, right? They will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come, he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices and shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O oh God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O oh Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. 
Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Okay. Any final thoughts or comments? Observations? Oh, my pleasure. It's good material. The Lord gives us good material. So I had put together, we're not going to have time to go through it, but in case you didn't pick it up, you know, we had done one of those prior sample prayer. I've done another one. Um, you'll see, like, it's kind of like a, almost like a bullet points list. It's the kinds of things that you would pull out of this Lord's Prayer to pray about. It isn't necessarily that you would you need to go through and, and pray all of those things, but it's the kinds of things that fall under each of the indexes in the prayer. And when you look at them, <coughs> you see the the breadth and the depth of the richness of the Lord's Prayer, though it's simple in its presentation in the Scripture, right? It's only a few verses. But when you start looking at them, as we've done, you see this is a really um, encompassing prayer. And so that's really, the sample praying is really just a kind of a guide to help you recognize these are the kinds of things that fall within this index that I, should be, that I can be praying about or praying for. All right, so I hope that's of value to you. Um, but again, we don't have time to, to go through it all. But if you didn't get one, make sure you, you pick that up on your way out. Um, all right, so let's, um, let's close in prayer. Oh, holy and gracious God, um, your word is so rich and so deep that we scarce can take it in. And so, Father, we, we need your help and understanding. We need your help to open our limited minds to the, to the glory of your word and to all that you are. And so, Lord, we, we just ask that, that our hearts would be changed, that we would become more like Christ each day, that we would have a compassion that you do for one another, to love one another, and that we would have a compassion to hate sin and that we would have the strength in you or through you to combat the evil that surrounds us, the evil that is in us. Lord, help us to be able to resolve the conflict between our, our spiritual being and our human condition. Lord, we just pray that we would go out and that we would be good examples, that, that our testimony would bring glory to you and that all that we say and all that we do we'll be mindful of you our great God and so Lord we, we pray for your protection and guidance as we part our fellowship today and we ask all these things in Jesus name Amen well thank you all